Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. And Mr. Birdsall, our only bit of live sports action is behind us. How sad. Very, very sad. It's a, it's a very, very sad day, knowing that months of buildup, months of hyping, months of discussion, months of speculation is all gone. It's all gone. We're done. Draft's over. Now we go back to a world of no sports, no content. I don't know what we're going to do, Mr. Caster. What are we, we going to do? I don't know. That is for us to know or not know and for our listeners to find out. It's a very scary time. It's a very, very scary time. But we will we will persevere because we are radio professionals. Mr. Caster, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know... We can, we can be sad all we want about the fact that the draft is over, but one thing that we can't deny is that the draft was a fun, unique experience that we will probably, hopefully, never have to see again in the in the nicest way possible. Hopefully, we will never have to do something like this again. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. I am, uh, I'm done with the virtual draft because as we uh, had talked about after we had discussed round one, we were not looking forward to seeing Roger Goodell have to talk to his TV. And he did that throughout. It's just so just so strange. Over under 350 degrees in that basement with Roger Goodell and all the electrical equipment. I mean, it's pro- I'm surprised that all the wood there didn't catch on fire. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that he was able to, you know, keep it pretty mild in terms of uh, the attire and still look rather professional well i mean i think he was probably sw- like drenched in sweat in that suit that he wore in the first round oh no first round. no doubt no doubt i i would be i would be dying i mean if the draft went as long as it used to by round like 13 he'd be in just pajamas yeah, well, I would too if I was the commissioner of the NFL. I don't, I don't care what anybody would say about me. They can make all the memes about me that they want. I would be in my pajamas. I'd be chilling in my chair. I'd be sucking down all the M and M's that uh, Roger Goodell had in his jar, and I would, I'd just be chilling. All that aside, you know, the draft was was an interesting experience. I, mean, I think that the teams that both that both Bird and I support, we think that they had pretty solid drafts. Would you agree? Oh, I'm over the moon. Yeah, I think at least at least on paper, I'm not going to say that the Cowboys drafted, you know, elite football players in every single round, but in terms of value and in terms of where I had them on my big board, they were getting value at every single pick. So, and same thing with the Jets. It really was much of the same. They were just getting guys that should have been going 20, 30 picks higher, and they were getting them where they were. I think the prime example of that was Denzel Mims in the second round. I mean, I don't think anybody saw Denzel Mims, even with the Jets trade down. I don't think anybody saw Denzel Mims being available for the Jets at the end of the second round. That was crazy to me. Yeah, the other crazy thing for the first, literally, so this is like the the Jets and Patriots traded with each other in this draft. The Cowboys and the Eagles did too. This is the second time since the Bill Belichick trade that the just that the Jets and Patriots actually traded with each other. This is the first time ever that the Cowboys and Eagles have done a trade with each other. Really? That's yep. crazy. The first time. And the other thing is that the Jets hosed New England in this trade. That's the great part. That's the uh, the great part. Is that they got like solid value in that late round trade because they also got a uh, a pick in in next year's draft as well. This is true. At, Right, and they were able to, um, yeah, I mean, I think Joe Douglas got a lot of value for his picks. I mean, he picked a Hall of Fame punter at a Texas A&M, so that's, that's pretty solid. Well, we'll talk about the Patriots, though, because I have, I have some thoughts about the, about the Patriots, but I think, uh, Adam, you have a, a few news and notes items? I do. So, I don't know. Have we really been talking about the Trent Williams uh, situation on the podcast? Not much. It's kind of been... Like there were it's peaks and valleys 
as far as the the uh, interest in Trent Williams or at least the the frameworks of trades that are going on, but it it happens. It happened on Saturday. Trent Williams was traded to the San Francisco 49ers for a fifth round pick in this past draft and a third round pick in next year's draft. So this this is also coming on the heels of a trade to the Vikings that was rejected, allegedly, I have to say that, allegedly, allegedly rejected by Trent Williams and his agent. So, yeah, I mean, thankfully, Trent Williams got what he wanted. He wanted to leave Washington, and now he gets to play for a Super Bowl contender, which, as of a couple hours ago, has a glaring hole at left tackle since uh, Joe Staley is retiring. Yeah, I mean, Trent Williams got what he wanted, like you said, Adam. Uh, the 49ers have a natural replacement now for Joe Staley, who, of course, retired due to health concerns. Now the 49ers will have to work out a new contract with Trent Williams, but there is no real pressure to get a deal done. But Trent Williams got what he wanted. He's very much out of Washington. And good for the Redskins for going about and getting this done, because every day that Trent Williams was going to be on the roster post-draft, his value was just going to go down and down and down and down. And they were able to get a pretty solid return uh, for their left tackle, a fifth rounder in this year's draft, and then the third rounder in next year's draft. So it, it worked out well for both parties. Trent Williams gets to go to a contending team where he could be a fixture starting at left tackle, and he gets his wish of not wanting to be near a horrendous medical team in Washington. And Washington gets a cancer out of the building while recouping some draft value for a rebuilding team i i think it works very well in in both directions yeah i think it's too soon to call trent williams a cancer well with what with what was coming out and him trying to do his best to work away out of washington whether it was right or not um you know it definitely was a distraction to the whole team building and trying to set a whole new culture and things like that in washington it was something that the old regime had to deal with even under even with Jake Gruden and then Bill Callahan had to deal with it and now I think that Ron Rivera is there Ron Rivera just kind of said you know what I, I just want no part of it we're a rebuilding team we don't need to do this let's get his contract off the books and let's just get some draft value out of it draft capital out of it and they did well plus I mean I think the word choice isn't great either considering what Trent Williams went through that caused him to want to trade in the first place yikes yeah I didn't think about that Oof. Yowie yeah. wowie. No pun think, intended. No pun intended. Yeah, hopefully. But this is definitely, I think this is a win for both sides, really. Because the, like, Washington didn't, didn't have a lot of leverage anyway. Yeah, it's true. But the 49ers were not done trading. But this at this point, they were just trading away their players instead of trading for players. They uh, traded Matt Breida to the Dolphins, and they traded Marquise Goodwin to the Eagles. The Eagles are really trying to assemble a, uh, a solid wide receiver core there. And I think this really kind of means that the Eagles are uh, working pretty hard to working harder than we think to trade Alshon Jeffrey because you're trading for you're trading for uh, a wide receiver, giving up draft capital to uh, trade for a wide receiver. And you're also picking a bunch of wide receivers in the draft. He's got to be gone. He's got to be gone soon. Like I don't think Alshon Jeffrey makes it to this season, to the start of the season, whenever that is, in an Eagles uniform. I think I think I disagree with that only because they haven't. If I think if they were going to trade Alshon Jeffrey, I think this was going to be the time that they were going to do it to get some sort of draft value out of it. I think Alshon Jeffrey is there in 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 Philadelphia for for the long haul, but in terms of getting Marquise Goodwin in tow. Of course, they drafted Jalen Rager. They have Deshaun Jackson coming back, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Greg Ward Jr. I mean, they're going for a receiving core in numbers in in Philadelphia. They want to have a ton of options there, and they also want guys to take the cover off the defense. And you have a receiving core now that has Jalen Rager, who plays much faster 
than the 40 time that he ran in the combine. And then you have two of the fastest guys in the NFL in Marquise Goodwin and Deshaun Jackson. I mean, that's that's just a team that's going to be launching bombs. And, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about more about the Eagles and other selections that they made because they had a very, very interesting draft, I, I, I must say. And yeah, there was, uh, I'm sure we're thinking of the same pick. Yes, yes we are, but we will get to that. Us and, our, and all of our listeners, I, yes. I would hope so. Yes, and hopefully all of our listeners enjoy the draft. Yes, I hope so too. And I hope that all of our listeners enjoyed our coverage of the uh, of the draft and our reactions to the first round. So what we're really going, unless there is anything else you want to talk about, Bird. No, no, we could just hop right into the... Uh... Right into the crux of the podcast there, Mr. Caster. Right, in, right into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. That's right. So we're going to be doing a fill-in-the-blank where uh, Bird and I each have a couple fill-in-the-blank questions that we're going to answer about the entire draft as a whole, not just day two and day three. And then we're going to have some winners and losers for the draft as a whole as well. So I'm with lots to... of educational discussion. Yes, of course. We're not just going to read them off on a list because that would not make for good radio. Winner. Patrick Mahomes, because he's Patrick Mahomes. Loser. Everyone who's not Patrick Mahomes. All right. So starting off, we're going to do the fill in the blank and I'll go first. So blank is a team that could have filled their needs better. The Green Bay Packers. Uh, they did not go ahead and give Aaron Rodgers one wide receiver. They ended up drafting a running back with A.J. Dillon, who is a very, very good running back. And, I mean, I guess, you know, if we can give some uh, foreshadowing into uh, later in the podcast how this is going to go, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are big losers for me because Matt LaFleur had come out and said that he believes that A.J. Dillon is going to be an early downs contributor as well for the for the Packers. So that is obviously going to take some touches away from Aaron Jones and especially Jamal Williams. But the Packers didn't go about and address any of these needs that we've been talking about throughout the entire draft. We had said that we had expected the Packers to draft at least one wide receiver to get Aaron Rodgers some help. And yeah, they drafted a tight end in the later rounds, but they didn't go ahead and address any need of the, at the wide receiver position and they're going to be stuck with the same sort of core group that they had last year. Jake Kumaro, Alan Lazard, MVS, and of course Devontae Adams. So this is just, it was a—it was not a good draft in many eyes by uh, a lot of people who, you know, really believed the Packers needed to go and get, and get one guy to really, you know, put the cover off of the defense. And it, it just didn't do it. And I... He, yeah. I don't know why. You have the deepest wide receiver class potentially in history. Correct. And you draft a running back in the second round when you have two very solid running backs. Two solid, very solid and young running backs. Let me mention it as well. Doesn't make any sense. You know, I was looking at this. They drafted John Runyon. Is he related? Like, you know, you remember John Runyon, right? Yes. Ta- you played tackle for the Eagles back in I don't, the day. I don't. I don't think they're related. That would be funny. I'm like John. John Runyon went back in time. And he's like, I'm gonna get drafted again. Maybe I'll win a Super Bowl. Not get manhandled by Michael Strahan all the time. He is not related to John Runyon, the tackle, but he is related to John Runyon Senior, who is the U.S. representative for New Jersey's third congressional district. Well, it's not what I was expecting, but you know what? I'll take it. It's cool. You'll take it. As a guy that has a has a soft spot for useless trivia, I will take it. <laughs> yes, you are the you are the uh, you are the quiz master, and you take any little bit of useless trivia and you just take it right in your back pocket. Well, that could be hints as as to what we might be doing for for content because I love doing those quizzes. Big fan. Oh, most likely. <laughs> My team that could have filled their needs better. I think the Texans with the, the I mean, they already didn't have a lot of picks. They were already lacking in terms of draft capital. 
with all the trades that they made, but they drafted, I mean, Ross Blacklock was a solid pick. I mean, he could have gone in the first round. I think I had, I had him going in the first round in my mock, but they didn't really draft. They didn't draft. They drafted an outside linebacker, but they didn't really do all that well filling the, the edge rusher uh, need and as well as corner, which was a huge need for the Texans. And they only drafted and they drafted uh, John Reed in the fourth round. So yeah, out of, out of Penn state. Yeah. It wasn't that great of a draft for the Houston Texans. This was a team that really needed to hit on every pick because they, there was not a lot of room for error. You know, when you have a team like the Vikings who actually did do very well, but they had a ton of picks. So they could have they could have been like, oh, well, we could take a flyer on this guy. He doesn't have to be that crazy. It doesn't have to be like that in, intense. But for the Texans, you know, they had one of the, the least amount of draft picks or they were tied for the least amount of draft picks. And it was all very underwhelming. Well, did you see on Friday that the Texans had agreed to trade, or, or at least, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, theoretically, I guess, they had agreed to trade with the Detroit Lions, and the Lions pulled out last second. And Bill O'Brien was not a happy camper, and which makes it all the more fascinating because, of course, those are all former Bill Belichick disciples. Bill O'Brien, Bob Quinn, the GM of the Detroit Lions, and then Matt Patricia. So it seems it seems like uh, there was a little bit of civil war between the Belichick, the Belichick disciples. Yeah. Well, this never happens in the Bill Walsh coaching tree. I'll say that. Wow. We're still we're still we're still going that way. Okay. Yeah. I see how it is. I see how it is. I mean, you know, when you see Andy Reid and John Gruden getting into a fist fight, then we can talk about civil war in coaching trees. <laughs> The next fill in the blank here. Blank overdrafted at a posi- at a particular position. As in, you know, they picked too many players at one position where they couldn't figure out where yeah. they couldn't yeah. Yeah, I have mine. Okay. Philadelphia Eagles taking Jalen Hurts in the second round. I don't know why the hell they did that. Yeah, me neither. I well, unless they view Jalen Hurts as like a a Taysom Hill equivalent where they can bring him on in certain set design packages and they can use him as like a guy they can go with on third and one and bring him on for wildcat plays and and things like that. But if I'm Carson Wentz, I'm pissed. Well, I think I I get the rationale just to play devil's advocate for a second here. Carson Wentz, he, he doesn't finish seasons. A lot of the no. time. No, he does not. Fa- he famously didn't finish the season when the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl. Oh, we have uh, we have breaking news on the uh, on the podcast. Ooh, we do. We do. So we uh, we did we did fail to talk about uh, Jameis Winston signing with uh, the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Is that finalized now? Uh, well, it's been finalized, but there's something else that happened with the New Orleans Saints. Okay. Taysom Hill has a, speaking of the devil, right on cue, Taysom Hill gets a two-year, $21 million extension with $16 million guaranteed. For a potentially third-string quarterback. Correct. Oh, God, what is this league coming to? What in the hell is happening? I mean, he definitely plays more than a third-string quarterback. But I mean, he, he, he does, but... You're going to pay a guy $11 million a year to come on for 15 snaps a game? Yeah. Then why the hell are you signing Jameis Winston? Just have Taysom Hill be the backup. Exactly. Exactly. Unless unless you view unless you view Jameis as like the go-to guy, the go-to, you know, pocket passer when, you know, you're in a tight game and need a real thrower, then I guess Jameis is that guy, but Yowie, wowie. Holy crap. That's a t- that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, please go ahead. Please go ahead, Adam. Or was I was I talking? Who the hell was talking? You were talking. You were talking about Jalen Hurts. Well, oh actually, yes, no, yes, I was yes. talking about the uh, the Eagles and the. Um... Oh yes, you were def- you were defending their position. Please go ahead. Yes. So I think Jalen Hurts is the kind of guy 
as a, I mean, he's a solid backup and that's, and he could definitely like what happened with uh, Nick Foles and other backups like him. If he comes in for Carson Wentz and does really well, he can end up getting himself a, a pretty big contract somewhere as a, as a starter. So in the second round though, I'm not crazy about it considering that Jake Fromm fell pretty far. And I think that a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know. Did you rate Jake Fromm higher than uh, Jalen Hurts on no. your board? No. No, no I, had, I had Jalen Hurts higher. Okay. Well, I'm just saying that the Eagles could have waited. Oh, no, they absolutely could have. They absolutely yeah. could have. But here is... Here's where it gets a little interesting because I was doing some research before we uh, we came on, and my my thinking here is particularly interesting. So Carson Wentz, of course, signed that big four year, one hundred and twenty eight million dollar extension with the Philadelphia Eagles. That kicks in this season. So Carson, so Carson Wentz is going to make. Oh, kicks in next season. I apologize. So it kicks in next season. Carson Wentz is going to make $1.3 million this year, right? Mm-hmm. With, but he's going to get an $18 million cap hit because of bonuses and things like that. Next year, his base salary is going to be $15 million. But after that, he has an out in 2022. He has a player option to either commit to the last three years of his contract, which would bring him to the 2025 season when he's 32, or he has an out at the end of the 2021 season when he's 28 and could potentially go for the next big contract. So my thinking here is could Carson Wentz only have two more years in Philadelphia before it is Jalen Hurts' time in the city of brotherly love? Well, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. That is a bold strategy, drafting your potential successor in the second round when you have two years at the early at the earliest for that potential successor to come in. When the Eagles definitely had other needs as well. Let's not forget about that. So I don't know. It's not it's it's a very hard pick to defend. I would not want to be the kind of per- the person to do that, <laughs> even though I sort of just did. It is hard. It's very hard to, to defend a pick like that. I'm look. I'm looking to find a way to justify it, and it, it's it's really hard. It is really really hard to try and justify it. So the next fill in the blank is actually two fill in the blanks. Ooh, okay. So it's a, what's two blanks is what I mean. Okay, it's two blanks. Blank will regret passing on blank. So it's team, and then the other blank could either be a player or a team. So, Well, I could, I could say C.D. Lamb, but that's too easy. I'm going to go with all the teams that passed on Zach Bond. Him going in the, in the third round was way, way, way uh, lower than I thought he was going to go. And good for the New Orleans Saints for trading up to... Uh, to get him because now they have they have a guy that can you know be a plug and play day one option at their weak side linebacker with Demario Davis and they got him in the third round when he's got borderline first second round talent so uh, good good for the Saints for for trading up getting great value on on a really good football player that just has a little bit of concerns with his side with his size but I, I think that with the way they do things in New Orleans and the way they can utilize a player's strengths, Zach Bond will be just fine in New Orleans. So good for the Saints for uh, for making a really uh, really great pick, and Zach Bond is going to have a uh, a very nice career, I think, down in uh, down in New Orleans. He's going to make a lot of teams look very 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 silly. So I was going to say initially, I was going to say that the Packers would regret drafting a wider passing will regret passing on a wide receiver, but that's too easy. We already kind of we already talked in depth about it. True. I'll say that New England is going to regret passing on a quarterback in this okay. draft. All right. Because I think 
mean, the story came out, I think, this morning that New England not drafting a quarterback was not according to plan. Such a weird, what a weird time we live in, where Bill Belichick almost brazenly is admitting we fucked up. We didn't, we probably could have drafted a, we probably should have drafted a quarterback, but we didn't because we didn't like any of the options that we had. Well, there are a few quarterbacks out there. Yes, there are a few quarterbacks out there. I mean, Andy, Dalton. Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, exactly. Well, you, the nice thing about Cam Newton is you don't have to give up anything to sign him. This is you very don't have true. To trade for Andy Dalton if you were going to do that. But I don't know. I don't know. It seems increasingly light, likely that your evil that that evil plan that you suggested that the Patriots are just going to tank and draft Trevor Lawrence. It's seeming even more likely. No, no, I I don't I don't think they're going to tank and just draft uh, Trevor Lawrence. I I I highly doubt it. I would be very shocked if they did. Yeah. Well, but it is, but it is entirely possible that the Patriots do just completely suck next year. It, that, that is that is entirely possible. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm sure they're going to find I mean, you never know. Maybe the Patriots see something in Jarrett Stidham that, that we don't. But really, as far as, as we know right now, it just seems like a, cra- like a, a crazy thing when there were, there were a fair amount of quarterbacks in this draft that could have been drafted and Patriots didn't draft any of them when quarterback was a pretty glaring need. Um, the next pick or the next to fill in the blank for me is blank is one of the more head scratching picks of the draft one of the more head scratching picks of the draft and obviously we can't talk about Jalen Hurts because well I mean this would have to be somebody that's pretty high do you have one I have one go ahead we talked about him on Friday but AJ Terrell going to the Falcons was a bit it was head scratching in the way like sure they drafted for need they reached for need but for a bunch of people AJ Terrell wasn't even the like the third best ta- uh, corner on their boards you know a lot of people had uh, Jeff Gladney and Jalen Johnson rated higher and those two and those well Jeff Gladney went later in the first round to the Vikings, who had a what a what a great draft, but I don't know. I don't really like the pick of AJ Terrell for for the Falcons. I think it was it was pretty head scratching. I mean, I I'm literally on the record saying that I don't enjoy the uh, pick of Isaiah Simmons for the Cardinals, and even though they were able to get a tackle in Joshua Jones in the great value round, pick too. In the third yeah. round, a third. I don't. Round, I, yes. I did not see Joshua Jones fall in the third round. That was a hell of a value, and that makes the Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons pick look better. That they were able to take Josh Jones in the third round and get just an unbelievable value on him. I almost would rather have a one of the four best tackles in the in the first round, as opposed to waiting in the third round for a tackle that's not. That still has a lot of room to uh, to develop. I don't know. It's it's yeah. true, but the Cardinals the Cardinals did need a really a really rock solid piece on their defense, and they got one with Simmons. But they also got a great value with Josh Jones in, in the third round. I'm not I'm not the biggest Simmons component in the world, but you know, just trying to justify it for the Cardinals, and I understand what Steve Kime and and Cliff Kingsbury wanted to do with that one. And I don't think anybody saw Josh Jones fall into third round, so great value for uh for the cardinals i have i have mine and it's going to be a day two selection it's cole Komet going to the chicago bears i don't get this one on any level because you just signed jimmy graham you gave him a full no trade clause which means he's gonna be there for the duration of his contract yet you draft the tight end in the second round so is matt Nagy's plan going to be that he's just going to run two tight end sets with Komet, Graham, and then you're going to have Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, and then you're going to have Tariq Cohen and, and David Montgomery. This Chicago Bears offense is just getting messier and messier by the day, and I don't I don't get it. I, I just, I 
do not get it. There's too many moving pieces in this Bears offense. And the only one that I could say is that is like that is great and perhaps is elite is Allen Robinson. Because Allen Robinson for me is he he's the most underappreciated elite receiver in the league. Yeah, I feel bad for Darnell Mooney. He's coming into this team as like I'm never gonna get the ball. There's no way. No, there's there's no way. I mean it's it's a mess. It is a mess, and Chicago Bears fans have every right to be just livid with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy because this was not a good draft for the Chicago Bears at all. And this was the the cherry on top of the uh, the poisonous Sunday with Cole Komet going in the in the second round. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the teams that really gave up premium draft halls for the for players, you know, like the Texans and the Bears, the te- those teams are not going to be all that. Well, the Texans are going to be pretty good next year, I think. Yeah, but the Bears, oh boy, like we're going back to like 2017 Bears almost. They're going backwards. They're not getting better. They have to make a decision on Mitchell Trubisky's fifth year option. I've heard they're not gonna they're not gonna activate that option. So they have a full fledged quarterback duel on their hands, and I don't know where this is gonna go. The Bears are in trouble. The, ba- the Bears are in real trouble. I think you can make a case that with the draft, the Lions got better. The Vikings got better, and the Packers are the Packers. I'm not going to say that they got better by any stretch, but the Packers got some pieces that they can, you know, build on what they already have, which is one of the top teams in the NFC. Well, the, the Falcons Bears, still, I mean, the, the Packers are still good, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. The Bears needed some other pieces to keep up with the rest of the division, and they didn't do that. I, I'm, in my opinion, I understand the defense is really, really good, but... If you were to say to me right now the Lions were going to finish above the Bears in the 2020 NFC North, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. I mean, if Matt Stafford stays healthy, I think sure. they're, yeah, it's going to be an interesting race in the NFC North. Yeah. And the Bears probably are not going to be a part of it. I highly doubt it. It's going to be like, uh, it's going to be Packers, Vikings, Lions. And that's going to be it. All right. So the last of these fill in the blanks if blank pans out he will be considered a huge steal of a pick do you have one i have one go ahead this is my excuse to be a biased new york jets fan because i this is where i'm going to get on my soapbox and talk about bryce hall who really was like a second round talent at corner who fell precipitously because of his ankle injury that he uh, suffered when he was in college in Virginia. Another player that was really hampered by the lack of easy access to uh, medicals for players to make sure that they were recovered for their injury from their injuries. I don't think I think from the impression that I got from uh, from Rich Cimini was that. Bryce Hall wasn't isn't fully healed like the ankle isn't fully healed but if when he comes back and he's anything like he was when in 2018 at Virginia I mean the Jets could have a, one of the better corner corners in the 2020 draft on their hands with Bryce Hall definitely a boomer bust sort of pick but getting him as late as they did it's a, it's very good. It's a very very solid pick. I'm also going to be a homer here. I'm going with my uh, with my Dallas Cowboys, and I'm going with their 179th pick in the fifth round. I'm going with Bradley and Nye, the edge rusher from Utah, and this is a guy that was was a consensus All American out of the Pac-12. He led the Pac-12 last year with QB pressures at 64. The next closest guy was at 40. That just goes to show you how effective Bradley and I was last year for the Utah Utes. And there were a lot of people that had him very high on their boards, but did definitely slip. One of the reasons that I believe 
why he slipped a little bit was he ran a 4.9340 at the combine, which is not great. But you look at his overall collegiate numbers from 2019. He had 14 tackles for loss last year, 13 sacks, one forced fumble in 12 games. This is a guy that is very, very productive, and he's going to a team that needs edge rushing help. You look at what Dallas has with Demarcus Lawrence. He's going to be on one side, and then after that, you don't know what they have. They drafted Neville Glanville in the third round, but then on the opposite side, on that opposite edge position, you really have just a smorgasbord of, okay, you know, what do we have here? Tyrone Crawford can be put in that mix because he can play defensive end if need be. You have Bradley and I. You have Alden Smith, who they signed, but that's pending his conditional reinstatement, along with Randy Gregory, who that is also pending his conditional reinstatement. So it seems like Dallas is really going for a lot of you know quality by quantity with the needs that they have on the defensive end. For no pun intended, for for the Cowboys, they did the same thing at corner with uh, Trayvon Diggs. And uh, the kid Robinson that they drafted out of Tulsa in the fourth round. So there is a lot of good picks here for Dallas. And maybe I'll talk about Dallas and their you know overall draft uh, a little bit later. But uh, overall, this is a fantastic value. This is a guy that I had as a top 100 pick. And they were able to get him at 179. So an absolutely excellent value for uh, for the Dallas Cowboys here. And this is a guy that I think, if coached right, and I think Mike Nolan knows what he can get out of him, I think this kid could be a star. Okay, so let's move on to winners and losers. And to start off, let's talk about the winners. And I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I've kind of hinted at it through this entire show, but the the Minnesota Vikings are a team that had a war chest full of so many draft picks and they were able to fill a lot of their needs with those picks, especially with the first three. They got a great receiver in Justin Jefferson. They got a great corner in Jeff Gladney, a solid offensive tackle in Ezra Cleveland. And with their, uh, the later picks in the draft, they were able to fill, they were able to uh, fill in their depth on the line uh, on defense, uh, they were able to draft another corner in Harrison Hand. They got another safety in uh, Josh Metellius and another safety in Brian Cole. So this is a draft for the Vikings where they were able to have a lot of quant- quantity with their picks, but they're also able to get quality out of that quantity of picks. My first winner is, of course, the team that had the number one overall selection, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals because, of course, with their first overall selection, they landed the face of their franchise with Joe Burrow. But then as the draft wore on, they continued to get better and better value picks. T. Higgins, top of the second round, excellent value for the Cincinnati Bengals, and they add him to a wide receiving core where – If A.J. Green is not healthy, they have a natural replacement for him, and they can add T. Higgins and still have a three-headed monster with Higgins, Boyd, and John Ross. But if A.J. Green is, in fact, healthy, more the merrier to that wide receiver rotation in Cincinnati. You're giving Zach Taylor more weapons to play with with that offense, which is supposed to be his bread and butter. They also got linebacker Logan Wilson on day two. He could be a day-one starter for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they continued to add Akeem Davis-Gaccier as well, another linebacker. So the Bengals, we talked about this on the Friday episode of the show, that I believe the Bengals were going to draft Zach Bond because they needed linebackers. They managed to get two. So they're, they're also going with quality and qu- quality with quantity at this linebacker spot, which they need help with. And these are two guys that I think they could be day one starters for the Cincinnati Bengals. Every selection for me was a home run for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they they really have built a very respectable offensive unit around Joe Burrow. The defense still needs a little bit of work, but we're getting there with that defense. And I'm I'm telling you, I think if they if they can really put the pieces together and Joe Burrow is as advertised, this is a football team that we could be talking about as one of the best teams in the AFC and we're putting them in the Ooh. same conversation with the Kansas City Chiefs 
Ooh. Baltimore Ravens in the next few years. Oh, my God. I believe so. I really do. Well, let me tell you, their offensive weapons do look pretty solid. They have four great wide receivers. Well, four good wide receivers with A.J. Green, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross. And they have a uh, franchise running back in Joe Mixon. Now they have their franchise quarterback. That's my Joe other Burrage. son. That's my other son, Joe Mixon. Your other son. Well, speaking of yes, which, we didn't even talk he, about it, but the Lions got some competition for your son. Uh, no, that's not that's not competition. I think my son is. Uh, uh, yeah, sucks. Yeah, he's probably going to be. I would even put him in the losers category, but we're not. We're oh, not he's a, he's a he's a he's a big loser. Yeah, he's a humongous loser now. Because DeAndre Swift is going to come in there. I think DeAndre Swift is going to have that job on lock by week seven, week eight. Yeah, it's pretty, It's going to be rough. And it may not even come down to performance. It may just be DeAndre Swift has that job by default because Carrion has another knee injury. Yep. So I guess you can call Carrion a loser, but he was not. he's not my uh, my loser. You want to give your, uh, your loser first or you want me to give uh, my loser? Uh, sh- I'll give my loser first. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think the Broncos are losers. Not, really? Well, they drafted – they did really well drafting wide receivers. They took a lot of wide receivers, much like uh, much like the Raiders. It was a very solid – yeah, they took like three or they, uh, they took two with their first two picks. I mean, they got like the best receiver in the draft in Jerry Judy, but – they they had a hole at tackle and they in one of the deeper tackle classes why didn't they draft a tackle like seriously i mean the second round joshua jones is, was there for them to draft they didn't need necessarily to draft another receiver uh even if uh, kj hamler will end up being pretty solid i think that tackle was one of the positions that we talked about when we were talking like however many episodes ago when we were talking about uh, team needs for the draft tackle was one of the bigger needs for the Broncos and they just I mean they filled other positions on the offensive line they drafted Lloyd Lloyd Cushenberry the third phenomenal name by the way at center and uh, they drafted Natana Muti at guard but no tackles, really? Doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, to me either. But I really did like the uh, the Broncos picks because they're trying to do what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing. They're just trying to make this just a one big fat vertical. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An aerial assault of sorts is what they are. Uh, what they're going for in, in in Denver. And now the real the real question that was going to be how much time will. Uh, Will Drew Locke have to actually get the ball to his receivers? But overall, I thought it was a pretty good draft for uh, for the Denver Broncos. Well, you know what the difference is between the Broncos and the Chiefs? What's that? The Chiefs have good tackles. This is true. This is very, very true. Um, my loser for uh, for the draft, I have veteran players. So I just took down some notes on... Players whose positions may come under a tiny bit of scrutiny based on additions that have been added to their certain position or subtractions that have happened to their units. And this is what I have. And it's very it's very offensive-centric, so just bear with me. But here we go. I have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Carrion Johnson, Cortland Sutton, Melvin Gordon, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Marlon Mack, Mark Ingram, Justice Hill, Keenan Allen, Devin Singletary, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deshaun Watson, and T.Y. Hilton. Wait, Deshaun Watson? Well, yeah, because they obviously they, they did not get him any real super help at wide receiver or at uh, the offensive or on the offensive line as well. That's true. I mean, so it looks yeah. like it looks like Deshaun Watson's going to have nobody to throw to of real value, you know, if, if you, unless you want to say Braden Cooks is going to work out, then, you know, then that's, that's your own personal dilemma. But the offensive line is still not 
where it needs to be. I understand they signed Laramie Tunsil to that huge extension, $22 million a year for him, but they needed more on that offensive line. If, if the Texans are going to be competitive, it's going to be because Deshaun Watson keeps them competitive. And if he's getting hit, you know, game after game after game after game, then it's not going to happen. And the Texans are going to sink rather quickly. You know, the funny thing is, there. Are, I mean, this is probably because the Texans franchise is so young. There is no other franchise in the NFL that has had the same problem throughout its entire existence like the Texans with their offensive line. It's true. They're almost stuck in like a spin cycle. Their entire, oh God, it's in two years, it'll be 20 years. So for the Texans entire 18 year existence in the NFL, they have not been able to get a competent offensive line together. It's true. Which is frankly mind boggling. It, it really is. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, I have another winner for you. Okay. The Baltimore Ravens. Oh, man. Big, I was going to say that. Big, big, big winners in this draft. And they just were getting value picks all over the board. Patrick Queen on night one was an outstanding pick. And then day two, we I alluded to the losers being Mark Ingram and Justice Hill. And that's because J.K. Dobbins coming in there, that that... that that tandem of Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins is going to be absurd. And then they got Justin Matabuke in the third round, who I really like. I think he could be a very, very good prospect on that defensive line. Devin Duvernay. Now, this is a receiver that can flat out fly. He was very productive at Texas. And I think now you're go you're putting him in the slot, most likely. And then you have Hollywood on the outside. Whoa, 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 whoa. Outstanding draft for the Baltimore Ravens. And and I think all all credit has to uh has to go to uh, Eric DaCosta and uh John Harbaugh for for again doing what the Ravens do best, and that is dominating the draft. Well, you know, we talked about the Texans throughout their entire franchise existence having offensive line issues. For the entire Ravens franchise existence, they've always done well in the draft. Yep. And they they addressed all the needs that they had. They needed they needed a linebacker. They got two, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. They needed a guard to replace Marshall Yanda. They got Ben Bredson, who I had I had ranked just about where he got selected. So overall good value for the uh for the Ravens. All right, before we uh wrap up here, I have one more loser that's maybe a bit controversial. Might be one of those things that make that makes Bird gasp and say how dare you but i was jacoby Brissett is a loser for me because that's fair yeah because the uh the colts drafted jacob eason in the fourth round and when you're drafting a quarterback like jacob eason who i mean obviously not as highly touted as uh either Tua, justin herbert or joe burrow he was still in the upper echelon tier of uh quarterbacks it wasn't like the jets pick when they drafted a developmental quarterback out of fiu this is a guy that will be in the in the mix to compete for a starting job once uh, phil rivers either leaves or is retired or retires and honestly i think that starting out jacob eason is going to be competing for the second spot with uh, jacoby Brissett, and they're could be a chance that, much like when he was with the Patriots, Jacoby Brissett is going to be relegated to third-string quarterback. And, if he's still on the roster at all. Yeah, if he's still on the roster at all. So I think that, honestly, it's it's a pretty sad when you think about it because Jacoby Brissett went from... Uh, I mean, he went from being pretty solid with New England, and then he was uh, kind of thrust into the fire when Andrew Luck was out for the entire uh, 2017 season, and then he was a backup again when Andrew Luck was healthy, and then Andrew Luck retires, and he uh, played all of last year, and now he's going to be thrust back into clipboard duty for 2020. But I have one. I have one more loser before we uh, before we hang up. Okay. And you'll appreciate this one. The New England Patriots. 
I didn't I didn't get this draft for them. I think Josh Uche was a good pick for them. He's got a lot of upside, and he can really be a very productive player in the National Football League. But drafting two tight ends, trading up for one, taking a kicker in the fifth round? What are we doing? Maybe they should have taken that dog out of the chair and let Bill Belichick make some picks. That was that was the best part of the draft, okay? <laughs> let, let's, let's, let's keep that very clear. That dog, that dog in the chair was absolutely beautiful, and you can't tell me that that wasn't staged because it 100% was. Bill Belichick was playing, was playing some games with the national media, and that was beautiful. Love to see it. I refuse to believe that Bill Belichick has a shred of humor in his body. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the dog just managed to sit in the chair by himself. Listen, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't think it was staged by Bill Belichick. Maybe staged by uh, by his son Steve Belichick. But uh, I, I would don't know. crack up if Bill if it came out that Bill Belichick just put his dog in the chair and just and just had his usual. Yeah, we're we're, we're getting him ready for uh, to take over for us, but we're uh, we're focused on on our draft and we're going to get our young players in. And we're going to hope they have good solid careers here. That guy, that's why I imagine that dog sign. Talk about grooming your successor. We're on Cincinnati. What, uh, what a very, what a very productive, uh, what a very productive draft episode was there, Mister Caster. Yes. What are we doing next episode? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We'll figure it out. We are radio professionals. Yeah, and I think that whatever we come up with, you're gonna like it. I'm sure I will. I'm very, very easy to please. Well, I mean, I was talking about you, but also our listeners. Because that's that's really who who we're talking to here. Of course, of course, we love our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk podcast. You can find all episodes of the Basement Talk podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify, and the name is just the Basement Talk podcast. If you want to listen to see to hear what we thought about the first round, you can find that episode right before this one on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Very easy to find. Very, very, very easy to find. So we will see you next time for a surprise. Such a surprise, in fact, that it is a surprise even to us. What it's we a surprise doing. even to the two of us. But when we know the surprise, it's going to be a surprise for you too. So we're, yes. we're planning the surprise still. But right. it's a surprise. Yeah. For my co-host at Birdsall, I'm Adam Caster, and we will talk to you next time on the Basement Talk Podcast. Bye-bye.